Ron Duguay. What's going on, pal? Hi. Uh, well, I got to tell you that I'm very well rested. I've been on lockdown here for six months. I'm I'm in Florida, which which is not a bad place to be. Well rested and way too much time to think about stuff. What's one show you find yourself binge watching that you never watched before? Love uh, Yellowstone. Kevin Costner is a man who I met. I think he's a great actor. I started watching his program and I was, you know, from the uh, first show till now, like I look forward to every week when it comes out. So uh, Yellowstone is the one show that I've been liking, but it's only once a week. 12-year NHL veteran, former coach, former analyst, podcast host. You're on Cameo. Do you ever take a break? Um, I do. I, uh, <laughs> I, there's other things I like to do. I like to spend some time outside. I like to cycle. I like to uh, you know, play a lot of tennis. I go play a little bit of golf. But as far as from hockey, mm-hmm. I'm finding right now that I am spending a lot of time, probably like a lot of hockey fans, lot, watching a lot of these games because it is very interesting because we're in different times. You got you know three games a day, so I I I'm a big believer in taking breaks. So I take them when I feel like I've had enough, and then you decompress from that, right? Yes, and just going outside, just going for a bike ride, or just running after a tennis ball, or playing golf a lot of that for me or taking a walk on the beach for Mm -hmm. me that's enough and then i'm ready to go again so ron drafts in all sports fascinate me franchises invest so much into 18 19 and 20 year old kids to change around a team's fortune and i love hearing draft stories from every every athlete i have on so take me back to 1977 a young ron duguay getting a call that he's been drafted tell me about that story well, I was, uh, I, uh, they changed the rule the year before I could have been drafted as an 18 year old. Cause I thought I was going to go the year before. In fact, I thought I was going to get drafted in a WHA, uh, but I didn't, which is probably a good thing. I, I probably, I, I would have been okay, but to spend another season, um, being at home, maturing, mentally maturing, physically maturing. And I got to live at home cause I played for my hometown Sudbury walls, junior team, mm-hmm. And so uh, by the time I got drafted, which I was drafted as a 19, I was really ready to leave. And I was really eager to play in the NHL because I really felt like my last year in junior was um, it. I was kind of dragging my feet a little bit because it wasn't as much of a challenge. Not that it was uh, it was too weak, but it was I felt like I wanted to go to the next level at that point. So. I was uh, really prepared. Once I got to New York, of course, the energy of, of New York City, mm-hmm. going to Madison Square Garden, um, meeting the mate, the great Phil Esposito and my teammates. I had young players, older players. And then once I got to training camp, it was a great atmosphere. It was atmosphere was fun, just fun. Like training camp was we worked hard on the ice and then we all kind of went out <laughs> afterwards. We all had lunch and uh, the, the married guys, single guys, we had lunch together. The married guys would go home to their wives. The single guys would go home for the single guys would go home for a nap and then go out again. And then we would then we'd do it all over again. We did that for three weeks. I'm like, oh my God, this is fun. <laughs> now every draft now, because you were a first round pick, 13th overall. Every draft now is on TV. It's on Twitter. There's none of that going on. How do you get the phone call? Does an agent call you up? How are you watching it? Uh, there was no watching anything. There was no listening to anything. In fact, the, it oh, was wow. so low key that uh, by the time I got that phone call on that Saturday morning, I didn't even remember. Like my agent calls, my mother tells me he's on the phone. I'm like, I'm wondering why he's calling. That's <laughs> that's really 
there was no big anticipation. And for me, I I don't remember thinking, oh, I gotta get straight, I gotta get drafted by Toronto or Montreal, like a Canadian team, because I follow the Leafs. Um, I wasn't even I wasn't even aware of much of anything other than you'll probably get drafted in the first round. We're not quite sure where you're gonna get drafted. It could be you could be first. They actually said first, or I ended up 13. Well, part of 13 was I think there was some hesitation by some teams of getting me, uh, picking me too high because I had the reputation of having a lot of fun off the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Where'd that come from? Who knows about that? (laughs) Yeah, and so some teams were a little concerned with that, but uh, John Ferguson was not, and and so I ended up in New York, which was perfect for me. That's wild because now we know about like 14-year-old prodigies. There's mock drafts to the year 2024, so you really had no idea where you were going to go. You were just waiting to get a call and say, hey, you got drafted. That's it. I mean, I had one meeting. Detroit Red Wings drafted first overall. I had a meeting with them. That was it. I met with their manager. I, ha- I met with them, and no one else. I met with no one else. There was my agent. There wasn't a lot of communication back then because it was a landline, right? There was no cell phone. There's no texting. <laughs> there was no big show. There was no uh, a whole lot of talking, all these scouting reports on players and Everything is so dissected now that it wasn't like that back then. I'm telling you, I, I had no idea who was going in the top 10 other than other guys that were in my league. I had no idea who's in the Quebec League or in the West Coast, Western League or none of that. We didn't we just didn't pay attention. 20 we really didn't pay attention. 20 year old kid dominating the juniors up in Ontario. And boom, you headed to the Big Apple. First thoughts when you got to New York City. Um, I felt very comfortable. Uh, I felt the energy of the building. Like I'm, I'm from a smaller town near Sudbury. Occasionally I would go into Toronto. Mm-hmm. So Toronto is a little bit of a, uh, and I play against the Marlies. So Toronto was a mini New York. So I had an idea or a feel for what big city life might be, but going to New York, um, I wasn't really, I, you know, I don't think it was until I got to that first exhibition game at Madison square garden until I really realized what it was like to play in front of 20,000 people. Cause normally for us, it was four or 5,000, 6,000 maybe. Um, and then, but getting at the garden and the energy of the building, um, it's um, it was, I, it brought the best out of me. Let's put it that way. I was going a hundred. I can remember going a hundred miles an hour <laughs> and not doing anything, but going a hundred miles an hour. And whenever I'd hit someone or run into someone, you'd, you'd hear this, response this reaction from the fans i'm like oh wow they're noticing me and because i was a big guy without a helmet i was a little more noticeable when with my speed so right away i connected with the fans the fans connected with me and uh, it happened really quick where'd you live when you when you first got here where'd you live in the city well we were practicing in long island so the majority of the players were all in long island atlantic beach long beach and uh, and so i wasn't going to go against the grain and think, well, I'm going to go live in the city. So I lived out there for the first season, which was a lot of fun. We spent a little bit of time in the city, not a whole lot. We'd always end up back in Long Island after games where it was more of a small community. We knew everyone. Mm -hmm. And then my second season practice rink was in, uh, I believe, uh, not Terrytown, somewhere in Westchester. I can't remember. Um, It's not coming. I think we're there for a year, maybe two. Uh, we were there. Yeah, we were there for a while. It wasn't until my third season where I felt like I was uh, mature enough to move into the city. So I waited two years 
of just kind of uh, getting a feel for everything. And plus, I didn't want to uh, be on the radar with the coaches and managers thinking I'm in the city. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I, I did party at Studio 54, but I, I didn't want them knowing exactly. Uh, I didn't want to use I didn't want them to use that as something against me if I had a bad game. Like, yeah, Ron is out in the city. Welcome to the NHL moment. What was that moment when you're like, okay, I made it. I'm in the league. Um, I've always been a confident guy, so I always felt like I belonged. And so it wasn't, to me, wasn't like, oh, my God, I made it. I knew I was going to make it. I mean, I, I was probably 16, 17 because I was at every level that I played hockey, mm -hmm. I, I did well. And my, I was played as an underage as in major junior scored 20 goals as an underage. And, uh, and so, and it just kind of grew from there. So I always knew I was going to make it. I, that's why to me it was no big deal. I didn't think like, wow, I, as a fifth round pick, I make it to the NHL, right? No, I was a first rounder. I was a first round pick as a junior first round pick as an NHLer. And, uh, I just felt like it belonged. 20-year-old kid, you walk into that locker room, you see Phil Esposito, who you just mentioned. Anyone else make you want to pinch yourself? Or like you said, your confidence was just that high, like, hey, I'm one of the guys now. No, I wasn't. Um, no, I wasn't like that. Trust me, I was very much in awe when I met Phil Esposito. I didn't know a whole lot about the Rangers. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know about Roger Bear. He was there also. Steve Vickers, I believe, was there because they took me out that, that afternoon, initiated me. We took me to a spa. <laughs> <laughs> not not where you get your nails done either. <laughs> um, but yeah, meeting Esposito was it was a big deal. I uh, I love I grew up loving Bobby Orr and of course Espo's on that team. But I was really um, uh, Phil made an impression on me back in I think it was seventy four the Summit Series or was it seventy no it was a seventy two seventy three. The Summit Series, where they played against the Russian Phil was a, Phil was a, um, uh, he was a very impactful player. He showed a lot of leadership in that series, and I was really impressed by him. He kind of showed me what leadership looked like, and then I got to meet him. And I had no idea. Again, back then, no cell phones, not much communication. I had no idea it was going to be when I got to Madison Square Garden. I thought it was going to be the manager, Ferguson, maybe the coach. I mm -hmm. signed a contract, and that's it. No. They were all there, welcomed me there, and then they had a little party set up for me afterwards. And then I stayed. Then I then I ended up going to Long Island, where some of the single guys were, and I ended up staying there for a week. <laughs> and and eventually made it back home. So well, you I'm still like, had to go oh. back to Canada. Then after a week, I decided to go back to Canada. I better get in shape now. <laughs> Hey, your second year in the league, you guys go to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? You guys win game one. Unfortunately, you, you lose four in a row to Montreal. Anything stick out about that run? It could have gone either way. There was two games that went into um, went into overtime. And, you know, good bounces, bad bounces. I mean, we did get beat by a, probably a better team when you look at all those players. They were mm -hmm. a little bit better. But we were playing well enough to beat them. And two of those games went into overtime. I think it was a game. I understand why they won game two, because we beat them game one. Game two, they win there. And then we go back and we lose in overtime back at Madison Square Garden. Now, we win that game. That could have changed everything. And um, the other thing I when I look back is, uh, and, and back then I didn't think about it a whole lot, but they kept Nick Futillo out of the lineup. And Nicky was Nicky. 
And I think Freddie wanted to play a more of a skill game against Montreal. But when you look at Montreal's team, they had a big, strong defense, defensive core. And, uh, and they had some pretty, uh, fairly big guys. And, and Nick was the type of guy that he would put fear in the player. So I, I think if they were to do it over again, mm-hmm. they would probably throw Nicky in there, just kind of skate around, run into guys, put some fear into them because we had some momentum. And uh, they did. That was the one thing they didn't do. And of course, early on, we didn't have Alf Nielsen. I believe he comes back towards the end because he had uh, hurt his ankle. So losing uh, Alfie made a difference. Um, and then, of course, JD. JD stood on his head. He was a great goaltender. Uh, he had a good series. He's a big reason why we went so deep. So, and uh, the fact that, that we made it there. One of the reasons we made it there is because we were just a happy group. Like you look at Carolina. Mm-hmm. The, the team, the coach, they talk about how they are a team. They're happy. And the coach just kind of, he lets them have fun. And we had fun. Freddie let us have fun. We had fun off the ice and we played hard together as a team on the ice. I compare a lot of the Rangers to the Yankees. No matter what, they reign supreme and not knocking the Islanders or the Mets, but that's just the way it is. So in years three, four, five, and six, the Islanders win four in a row. As a player on the Rangers, now you're getting known. You're scoring a lot of goals. Did you ever feel you were playing I guess second fiddle to the Islanders or you guys always knew like, you know, we reign supreme, but the Islanders just have the moment. No, no, we, we knew we were King. (laughs) (laughs) It's true though. It really is. We, we we have the city. Mm -hmm. We own the city. You do. We have the garden. We have the most famous arena in the world. Mm -hmm. I like their team, but it was, uh, it was tough. It was secondary. And I enjoy going to the Island. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the, um, the, the fan interaction because they were pretty hard on each other, Rangers and Islanders. Of course, you know, we go on the Island, half the building would be Ranger fans. <laughs> and, uh, and so we would dominate the, the garden and then we take half our fans and we bring them to Coliseum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ron, so. I, I love how many, how so many diehard Ranger fans like adore you. You're still one of the guys. You remind me a lot of a Paul O'Neill that you just, you're beloved by everyone, and I feel your game's actually overlooked because of your looks and your lifestyle, but I just looked at your stats. 20 goals as a 20-year-old, then you're up to 27 goals, uh, uh, 28 goals, and boom, 40 goal scorer at 25, 24 years old. Were you maturing, calming down off the ice? What caused that progression? That's a big jump. Well, it was uh, what happened is I had a good series against the Islanders, and Bill Torrey was the manager of the Canada Cup team. We played the Canada Cup. And so he invited me to camp to try to make the Canadian team. I made the team and that was a big confidence booster for me. So I left, I left the, the, the series, the tournament, then I went right into training camp, the end of training camp, Herb Brooks was there. So it was a combination of me being in great shape, me having some confidence, Herb Brooks allowing me to be, to play more of a, um, more of a skill game where I wasn't um, having to, uh, was playing more open ice. There wasn't a north and south having to stop. He kept me. I was able to stay in motion to use my speed. And then, of course, you you got to have you got to have the, the got to have your coach liking you. So he saw me in camp where I was flying. He knew I'd come back from playing for Canada Cup. So right away, he thought of me as a first line winger player. He gave me Pavlitz. We we clicked off right away. And then you you got to get quality ice time. And then I started scoring right away. And so you're on the power play, killing penalties, and the coach likes you, and everything's good. I believe it was after that season, the 40-goal season, you were traded to Detroit. Was that a gut punch, and did you even see that coming? 
Um, no, Herbie had a, he liked me, but he had issues with my social life. He, I think he was still in a, I want to dominate my, I want to control my players mode where he did that with his college players. And for whatever reason, and, and Herbie's a great guy and he had a sense of humor. Why it bothered him so much that I was having fun off the ice, I'm not quite sure because I performed on the ice, but it bothered him. I think he just didn't, I think he felt like he didn't have control over me that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wasn't a troublemaker. I, you know, I never spoke back to him. We, I never had an argument with him. But in my second season, starting second season, he sees that I'm a little bit off in training camp. I've been partying all summer and training camp. He sees that I'm not in great shape. He got on my case right away. He used that to um, suppress me. And I ended up on a like on a third line. And next thing you know, I don't have a good season. And it was all the reason for him to be able to say, I want him off the team. So I went through that whole season. It was very frustrating. I, um, and I did, never got in an argument with him. Mm -hmm. I keep I kept doing what I was doing, which is partying. And uh, he felt like he wanted to control me, dominate me. It didn't work. He ended up trading me. I go to Detroit and I end up scoring, what, 37 goals, 39 goals. And, uh, it, you know, it might have been the best thing for me because I probably uh, needed to slow down. <laughs> but but we Herbie and I could have had that conversation. I think that's where he failed. He could have sat down and talked with me about just about life in general, just like talking to a young his son or mm -hmm. a young man. Say, hey, look, it, you know, I'm concerned with you, Ron. Maybe you should slow down. Let's be careful. Be, you know, you may want to time it out when you party because we want you to be here in New York for 10 years. He could have had that conversation. No, what he did is he found ways to suppress me and get me traded. I think that's where he failed with me. And Yeah, it seems that way. Because remember Steinbrenner did that with Jeter. He sat him down. He's like, listen, I don't want you on page six every night. I don't want you doing this every night. So it's kind of the same thing. He could have did that with you. Absolutely. We could have had that conversation. Just a nice conversation versus – uh, you know, just put the hammer down on me and try to get me traded or throw me in a third line. We never had that conversation ever. Oh, that's tough. Only a couple, couple of times he did bring me in his office and he's got the New York Post and he's he's pointing to an article about me and <laughs> being with Cher. And, and he goes, look, at I, I need you out of page six. I need you back here in the, on the sports page. And uh, I'm like, oh, OK. Whatever. <laughs> Were you? I know everyone uses the Joe Namath comparison. Were you one of the first celebrity athletes on Page Six doing the, doing your thing like that? I know. Well, I, don't know I don't know how long Page Six existed, but it would have been Joe Namath first. Uh, back then, it would have been um, Reggie Jackson, uh, Vita Sterilitis, John McEnroe. John and I were he was were wingmen. <laughs> And uh, like Vetus Gerolitis, I hung out with Vetus Gerolitis. I was around Reggie Jackson also. Uh, I'm trying to think of other athletes that were in page six. Maybe some of the uh, neck players, mm -hmm. a few of them. Um, but yeah, I was up there pretty high only because I, I was um, connected with some high level celebrity, female celebrities, and then men also like. Andy Warhol yes. and uh, a few others. Hey, real quick, I was checking your stats. I'm a big stats guy just now, and I'm like, oh, your assists went up when you went to Detroit and Pittsburgh. Oh, you were playing with Eisenman and Super Mario. How much fun is it playing with guys like that, just knowing you're a scorer and you can just dish the puck to them and they're going to score all the time? Fun. 
it's just it, it's just fun because wh- wh- why are you playing the game, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you see the reaction of a player after he scores a goal, he sets up a goal. They, I mean, they jump up in the air, the big smile. You, it, it is so satisfying, so much fun to score a goal, especially at the NHL level. So whenever you're able to score a goal or set someone up, it is it's an incredible feeling. And you got twenty thousand people rooting for you, the big loud noise. And so um, when you have, when you dish the puck, like for me, a Johnny O'Grodnick or a Mary Lemieux, and they produce and they do something with it, then you're passing your play. You make, make a great play, but if it goes to waste and the guy doesn't do anything, he kind of just messes up. That's no fun. But when you got a guy that can finish on a play, on a great play or on a sacrifice you might've made, that's fun. You know what I love about you so much? Your passion of hockey because you played with Gretzky in L.A., then, you you know, the Rangers, and then you kept playing in San Diego and Jacksonville. One last on-the-ice question. Growing up in Canada, did it blow your mind you were playing in San Diego and Jacksonville? That's not the norm. No. Those are all things that are – that's just life. You mm-hmm. don't know where um, where things will take you. You don't know a – because you have doors that open to you and you have doors that close, right? I've had mm-hmm. doors close on me and I've had doors open on me. And you just never know where you're going to end up. Like I end up marrying a woman that lived in Laguna Beach, California. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have thought that, right? While I'm in New York and I'm in, I'm in New York, how can I meet a woman in California? <laughs> well, I met a woman in California when I was on a road trip to L.A. And <laughs> – Next thing you know, I get married. So you just never know what's going to happen. I've just always appreciated every place I've been. And I've been at the finest places in uh, in the country. <laughs> and so to be able to play in New York and then, you know, Broadway and then Hollywood and then San Diego's awesome. And then I, I played in Florida. Um, and so it's it's been a nice ride for me. That's why I continue playing because I have always have opportunities to go play hockey in different locations, exhibition games. You never know where it's going to take me. Like I've been to Russia like 10 times. I've been to Switzerland. Uh, I want to go to China. Uh, there's a lot of places I want to go to Australia, places where there is hockey, and I want to go there and just be able to go skate there. And I don't want to just talk about your career on the ice, but I know you're known for your selfishness and charity work off the ice. I know what you do for the Garden of Dreams, but I really read quickly, what's your involvement with the Caring King Foundation? I know you were named an ambassador or something. How'd you get involved in that? Um, it, it, it always, I'm trying to think of who approached me on that. I'm always, um, I'm always willing to want to give back because so much I'm, I so understand, and most athletes, under, they get this is that when a lot is given to you, you got to find a way to give back. Now, it's a little bit harder during regular season. You're very consumed with who you are and what you're doing. But once the season's off and then once you retire, you got to find a way to give back just so you can have that balance of all that's been given to you. you got to give back to others, got to help others. And, and one of the big – I mean, I used to get so much satisfaction of being a player. And the enjoyment of being a player. Now I get a lot of satisfaction of just helping others. And so whatever I can do that, I do that. And one of the things I do, uh, there's an app called Cameo. Mm-hmm. And on Cameo, people can reach out to me. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am. You are. So people can reach out to me and get a personal message from me. And I love, right now, because I have this time off, I love doing it because it's like me just speaking to them and doing a personal message. So um, that's not charity work, but that's, but the, as far as charity work for me to show up at different locations to see, put a smile on someone's face, 
um, for two seasons, two school seasons, I worked in the Bronx. And I was going to schools in the Bronx. And I was mentoring kids. I was talking to them about leadership qualities, making good decisions, all that. So I did that for two years. So there's a lot of things that I've done, especially in the New York market, that uh, for me, I I just uh, I, I enjoy doing it. And it's something I should be doing. Another thing you're doing off the ice is Up in the Blue Seats podcast. I love it because you're outspoken. You're not only a player, you're a coach. You're an analyst, so you have all these different aspects, all these different avenues and angles you're coming at. Are you enjoying that? I know you just finished up the first season. I really enjoyed it. Um, my, I guess my my challenge always is to get the right guest mm-hmm. because so many um, celebrities or athletes, they get asked to do a lot of things, a lot of requests. So I, For me, it was really important to get the right guest, and if I happen to really know them, you know, where I can say this is a friend of mine, that made it a lot more fun, a lot easier. And uh, most of the time, I always I'm always the one answering a question as I'm doing right now with you. But to be the host and actually prepare with questions, I enjoyed that process because I'm going to think of things that I personally want to know or I'm going to ask things that maybe someone else has not asked. And um, because I'm curious that way, there's things that come to me. And I, I think that as far as being able to pull stuff out of people, I think I did a pretty good job. My guests were all really good. And so we finished our first season. We'll probably start up again in October once draft time comes around. And uh, the fact that I work for the New York Post, which is funny. I say this all the time. Uh, the New York Post and page six is what got me in trouble. So now <laughs> full circle. Here I am. Here I am. They're paying it back. <laughs> they're, they're giving me an opportunity to be a voice. And uh, the fact that even they asked me to do it, they could have asked anyone. They asked me to do and be the voice of the New York Rangers. And uh, uh, it was similar to how I was asked to be the face and the voice of Madison Square Garden Network. I, you know, I did that for 12 years. Uh, That kind of ran its course. I did that for 12 years. It ran its course. And uh, it's like anything, right? There's a change in management, change in philosophy, change Mm -hmm. in ideas. And all of a sudden you're out the door and they bring someone else in. That's life. It happens. No, you know. So, uh, like I said, one door closes, another one opens. So that's where I'm at now. Any dream guests for the podcast? Is there one guy you really want to have on? Um, gee, I, I think I've had all of them that I've wanted to mm-hmm. get on. Um, I really enjoyed, like, my good friend Phil Esposito. And, of course, Mike Keenan was my first guest. See, I have to think of who the Ranger fans would want to hear. Exactly. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily about me. It's about the Ranger fans. So I had Mike Keenan twice, Stanley Cup winner. Phil Esposito is a big name. Is you know he was in New York and played for the Rangers and uh, coach and manage. And and then I had my guests like uh, uh, Sean Avery was a character and Ty Domi. Ty Domi and, was this. That was the good one. That was the one I loved. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that's why I like to hear from the fans on who they want. It's not necessarily who I want. So uh, who else would I want? Uh, I haven't had Adam Graves. Mm -hmm. Adam would be a good guest. Uh, Brian Leach would be a good guest. I haven't had yet. And so I just know that these guys are busy and they're doing interviews all the time. So it's it's a little, I feel a little uncomfortable sometimes asking them, but those are uh, other players that I think that uh, the, the fans would love to hear from where I can pull stuff out of them. Mm-hmm. Dave Maloney, Dave Maloney was awesome. I had him on twice. Dave is great. Uh, you know, former teammate, captain of the Rangers, Gresner, uh, Tommy Laylaw. So those are all good guests. Uh, Chris Katsopoulos, all good guests. Every one of them. You ready to finish up with a few quick hit questions? 
Yeah. Best hockey movie of all time. Um, Alaska, Alaska. What's the? Um, oh, Missing Alaska. Is that it, or something Missing like that? Alaska. All the other movies. Oh, I got. You know what? I, I take it back. A miracle. Okay. Miracle yes, on ice. Okay. <laughs> I think that uh, because I because I knew Herb Brooks. Uh, Kurt Russell did a great job. I think Miracle on Ice was probably the um, because I, the best version of guys looking like they can play hockey. Mystery Alaska was different. I like that story. Mm-hmm. I kind of when I watched the movie, I I'm I like, oh damn! I wish they would have asked me to be those <laughs> that Ranger team that comes in and plays yeah. against them. I wish I would have been one of those guys, right? Um, and so I like Mystery Alaska. Slapshot, I thought it was goofy. I don't think I've ever watched it fully. I thought that was so stupid and mm-hmm. goofy. It put the game in a bad light, although it was so silly that uh, if I was to watch it today, I'd probably laugh. But back then, I didn't like it because all the guys couldn't skate. Most of them couldn't even skate. <laughs> so, One hockey moment in history you wish you could have been on the ice for? Well, that would have been... Uh, the 94 Stanley Cup team. <laughs> I would have liked to have been part of that team to win a Stanley Cup in New York, uh, to be alongside of Brian Leach, Adam Grace, uh, Mark Messier at the Garden. Um, yeah, I don't think it would get much better than that. Coolest piece of memorabilia that you own? Hockey? Yeah, any, any memorabilia that you own, the coolest thing? Well, I have a football autograph from my friend Joe Namath. Um, <laughs> That's a nice I power have play. A- yeah, I have a poster from the halls. Uh, Bob, I know Bobby, mm-hmm. and I know Brett, and I have a poster of them autographed. I have my I, – I, I played in a uh, Legends hockey game where Bobby Orr was there and Gordie Howe was there, and I played in a game, and they both autographed on each shoulder my jersey. Wow. I have that framed. Um, I have uh, – Brooks Robinson, baseball autograph. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you have, I, you have uh, a good collect, you you collect some stuff. I did. Uh, yeah, like in and like in tennis, I got te- uh, John McEnroe's giving me his tennis racket back in the seventies. Um, Bjorn Borg autographed his poster. Um, let me see. <laughs> I can probably uh, go on. Um, well, you 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 flexed your muscles there. What you got? <laughs> I there's a couple other things that I have, and I'm not thinking about it. Um, Buffalo Bill. I have a piece of paper that Buffalo Bill signed. What? How'd you obtain yeah. that? I was at an auction. I think I was in Catalina Island, and I was doing. Uh, I was doing an event there, and this was an auction item. And I thought, oh, my God, I got to get this. So I have it. Wow. See, I like weird autograph stuff. I just had an astronaut on, um, Scott Kelly, who spent 365 days in space. And he sent me – so I like the weird autographs rather than the generic stuff you buy from the from the store. Hey, two more quick ones. You and I are at a bar in New York City. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? Well, I can tell you who I got a text from last night or even a video. Go ahead. Cuba Gooding. <laughs> Why did he send you a video? He was in the bar. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> really? Cuba in a bar? Uh, he's in a bar, and he's there with his girlfriend, uh, Robert De Niro's uh, uh, son's ex-wife, Claudina. Okay. And uh, they were just there, but it was, like, empty. And he just sent me a video, just look at this, perfect. But he was kind of being sarcastic. There was no one there, right? That's and wild. He was, I guess he was, trying to, he was trying to watch the hockey game. And so he just kind of randomly sent it to me. So, of course, I, I happened to be sitting on my sofa watching a hockey game. You know, a little bit. It's quiet in this board also. So we exchanged a little bit of something last night, Cuba Gooding and I. I spent time with him in January in Vegas. I did an event for Bernie Nichols, and, and Cuba was there. We I spent three days around Cuba. Oh, my God, well, that was a blast. <laughs> There's a guy that knows how to have fun, and, uh, and where's the money? <laughs> Where's the fun for him? <laughs> he's a great, great guy, and he loves to play hockey. One of the things he said, like he's in the southern part of Florida, and he's always wanting to get on the ice, and it's hard for him. He's what's frustrating for him is he's not having an opportunity to go play hockey. So, great guy. Cuba's a great guy. And, and last thing, what's cooler, having your own hockey card or being on the cover of Andy Warhol's magazine? Oh, by far, Andy Warhol. I mean, Andy Warhol Ooh. is. Uh, legendary Andy Warhol to be on the cover like people like what Andy Warhol when you look at everyone that he has painted put covers who he has put on the interview covers I mean that's a, a, a real elite group so and I have a book that's been autographed by Andy to me oh. um, love Andy <laughs> to Doogie love Andy <laughs> and uh, so yeah I, I would say uh cover interview magazine i have that framed here and just give the plug for your cameo again your twitter and your instagram and let me tell them about the cameo because you sold it but if you know a ranger fan or a hockey fan they can tell you what to say you're going to see happy birthday happy anniversary you can talk trash them so you can do everything on the cameo so give the plug for the cameo the twitter and the instagram yeah on cameo they can request anything uh, as long as it's uh, decent yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, responsible. They can request something, an anniversary to something, say a message to a friend. I mean, uh, it could be something saying something to an Islander fan or the Devils fan. It could be just, it could be just about anything. And, um, and so, yeah, I do one or two a day and I like to often I'll take them to the beach. I'll go for a walk on the beach and I'll do my cameo there. Or I'll do it in front of some of my posters, pictures, and so I make it fun. I I I, I take it seriously because they they'll we get paid for this, so I give them their mm -hmm. money's worth, and it's I, you know I'm affordable, and um, so I I I've really enjoyed it, and uh, and it I really and the response that I get from people when they say, oh my God, Ron, that was awesome. My mom is so happy, Aww. or my grandmother, or my wife, or my friend. It's when I when I get those response, I know that it's it's real. It's worth it. So yeah, cameo's been great. And then if you can follow me on Instagram, Rondugay Ten on Twitter, and then of course on Facebook. Facebook, I'm I'm full. Um, so yeah, it's um, I love doing all those things. Ron, I know you're down in Florida. The bar Jack Dempsey's, which is around the corner from your old stomping grounds at the garden, gives me my own floor to do my podcast. Next time you're in this city, we'll do it from there. We'll talk about Studio 54, hanging out in Gene Simmons' bed, hanging out with Cher, favorite fruit in New York. We'll do it soon. All right, brother? Okay, good talking with you. See you later, Ron. This is a blast, man. All right, bye. Thanks, pal.